Hello, this is Kevin Kersey of the Kevin Kersey Agency. The Kevin Kersey Insurance Agency, a member of the Farmers Insurance Group, can help with home, life, auto, or business needs. Phone number is 317-286-3481. We can also be found on Facebook at the Kevin Kersey Agency or at our website, www.farmersagent.com forward slash kkersey. Walk-ins are always welcome at 480 East Northfield Drive, Suite 300 in Brownsburg. The Kevin Kersey Agency presents Central Indiana Today on WYRZ. Welcome back to Central Indiana Today. My name is Shane Ray for Miss Nicole. And this is part two of my interview with Johnny Ray Miller. He's the author of When We're Singing. It's a book all about the Partridge family, specifically about the music. And we left off talking about the incredible stable of writers that wrote for the Partridge family show and records, of course. And now we're going to talk about David Cassidy and his struggle between the character of Keith Partridge and the real David Cassidy in the public's eye. 24 hours a day, girl, that's not the way I planned. I'm also in the book now where David Cassidy is going out on tour on his own, realizing that, you know, first off, he's he's starting to come to the realization that people are having trouble separating Keith Partridge and David Cassidy. And, yeah. Uh, but he, he's got fans out there, and he can go out there, he can make more money in a day or two on a weekend show. And then come back, and then he is on on the uh, on the series. How much of a challenge was that for him to to still like to do the show and and want to come back after a few seasons? I think that you know, I think it ended up being a lifelong challenge for him because that marketing image was so strong, yeah. and I think he became uh, a little fearful of what was happening pretty early on. Um, he always loved. The Partridge family and the music, uh, especially now when he looks back, you know, he appreciates everything so much more than he could when he was that age. Because, you know, he was 19 years old when he started. And, I mean, right. you know how you, we all are when we're 19 years sure. old. Um, he had his own idea of what he wanted to do, and it wasn't the kind of music that they were actually doing with the Partridge family. But he liked it, and he respected it. And everybody I spoke with talked about what a professional he was and how he gave it everything he had. And that he was eager and wanting to learn, always in the studio wanting to learn. Um, but I think the image probably was catching up with him, you know, even as early as the second season, uh, going into the second season. Uh, he would go out on tour, and I think that... There was insanity to all of that, uh, but what he did get out of it, aside from making a lot of money, was that he saw that the fans were coming to see him perform. So, you know, through the years, I feel as though he he was able to be himself on stage and see that his fans really appreciate him for who he was. But at the same time, uh, I think the marketing image, it was still always there driving it. And uh, 
I think it's just always been a difficult thing for him all through the years. Do you think that's the reason that he never did really catch on with another series? I remember, you know, as a kid, you know, David Cassidy, Man Undercover, I believe was the name of it, was a TV show. Oh, yeah. And uh, and that he got such praise for being, was it Police Story that he was on? Right, yeah. He had an Emmy nomination for being a guest on Police Story. Yeah, that's it. And that's what spun off uh, the new series, Man Undercover. You know, I think a lot of what happened with him going forward was kind of bad luck. Um, He did three solo albums right after the Partridge Family for RCA, and they were tremendous albums. Uh, Big names worked on those albums with him. Bruce Johnson from the Beach Boys and Jerry Beckley from America. And they're some of the greatest records that he made as a solo artist. There were three of them. But he was so traumatized over the touring and what happened with the touring during his Partridge Family years. A young girl uh, in his second-to-last concert performance um, of that era, the early 70s, died, was crushed to right. death at White City Stadium. Yeah. And it really you know, had a big effect on him. And so when he made these RCA albums, he didn't want to go out and tour. So, of course, that affects, you know, you've got to promote your stuff. And so I think, you know, he has said that many times that, you know, uh, that that had an effect on the way that those albums sold. And then um, through the years, he, he did a lot of really great albums, and it just seemed like there would be, you know, some little stroke of bad luck that would happen. Man Undercover, uh, it was a great, that was just a great launch of a new show. He did not want them to put his name at the front of it. Um, it was at the last second that they decided to call it David Cassidy Man Undercover. Mm. Because I think, you know, he was a little worried about that marketing image, too. They even recorded a bunch of songs during the filming of that with the idea of potentially putting out an album and uh, the album never came out and then many years later someone uh, put them all out on a CD and I and uh, I don't know you know how happy he really was about that in yeah. the 90s uh, but yeah you know and then in the 90s he, he comes back with a great album self-titled David Cassidy and had a hit Lying to Myself uh, was on the top 40 uh, but the label was an independent label and it started to have trouble right around the exact same time the song came out and the planned singles that were going to come out from it everything was scrapped and mm-hmm. the label went under so a lot of bad luck yeah. I think with record labels and maybe you can add some clarity to this one Susan Day is another one who has had I don't I think she has publicly said I don't dislike the Partridge family I just don't want to talk about it all the time something to that effect yeah. in fact she didn't necessarily want to participate in the book either right Yeah yeah she doesn't ever participate uh pretty much in any kind of Partridge family reunion um and I don't really know why. I'm not so sure anybody really does now. It, earlier on in her career, it was just to simply, you know, distance herself to try to establish herself as a capable actress um, who could do other things. And I think she did that. You know, she went on and had a great run with L.A. Law and yeah. did a lot of other things. Uh, but why now at this point she doesn't really want to talk, uh, I don't know. Um, but I respect that. Um Dave Madden was the one who attempted to connect me with her because uh, he told me that he emailed with her every day. Yeah, and so that's probably where I got mixed up earlier. What's that? Uh, that's probably where I got mixed up earlier when I said David Madden introduced you to Shirley Jones. It was Susan she, he was trying to introduce you to. Yeah, he was trying to connect me, and he had such a sense of humor about it. You know, he tried, and he gets back to me, and he tells me, you know, don't worry, I wouldn't feel bad. It's probably the part where I told her that you wanted nude shots of her from the waist up. <laughs> so, 
like that. He was a jokester like that, and I don't know. I just really liked him. He just had that way about him that made you feel appreciated the second he starts talking. Yeah. Yeah, and getting back to Susan Day, I'm kind of like you. You know, it's been long enough. You've proven yourself as an actress, as a model, whatever the case may be, uh, but she just seems to still want to shy away. Although she 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 does come out, like you said in the book, she came out for uh, Danny Bonaducci's show or something, and uh, she'll do it for yeah, close I friends. Yeah, and had some really nice things to say. And, um, yeah, it would just be fun to hear her talk about, I mean, because she's not really talked much, it would be fun to hear her tell stories that probably have never been told before. Right. Because they're her stories, you know. And if you see in my book, it's a very, my book is very positive and oh, quite yeah. a tribute to the Partridge family. Uh, it's not tabloid in any way. And, well, that was kind of the beauty of the Partridge family, too. What I really loved finding out was that they really acted like a real family behind the scenes and looked out for each other. They got along great. Um, and it's just really nice to hear stories like that. Yeah, and I believe, I, I can't remember if it was uh, Brian or somebody else said, you know, Shirley Jones really did act like a mom on a set. She would tell him, hey... You know, yeah. you know, like when David Cassidy was uh, getting so much attention, and she told him, "Hey, this is a show, and we're going to do it, and you're not going to be jealous. You know, we're all going to get our chance." So yeah. uh, it was uh, yeah. funny to hear that. Those are great stories. I love, I love hearing Shirley tell those stories, and they all tell them too. And the amazing thing was that they respected her so much, including David Cassidy. So you know, as Danny Bonaducci put it, and I put this in the book, Shirley's word was law. And they all respected it. And so, you know, when she put her foot down and said, hey, you know, shape up, family, <laughs> they all did. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm also a car guy, and I was just floored that you knew so much about the bus and how that was like a rare bus. And, of course, they didn't know that on the yeah. set. But uh, uh, yeah. hard to find, and there's, there's no, no one knows what happened to the bus. Right. Uh, in fact, I, the bus part of the story of my book, it, it has its own extraordinary little um, piece to the whole thing. Um, I, it just seemed like it happened upon me that I found some of the right people who knew a lot about this bus along the way. And they sort of gave me information that served as leads for me in the research. And here, when you do the research, uh, you come to find out that the bus, the model, make and model of the bus, and even what happened to it, has been misdocumented for 45 years. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of easy to see how it was, but it, it's definitely a great story to unravel. So when I started getting in and doing the research on the make and the model of these certain buses that were built in the 50s... Um, and what I also learned about the modifications that they placed on the bus that made the bus its own unique thing to spot on camera, I realized people have, uh, you know, this has been messed up through the years. It's wrong pretty much everywhere you look. It's wrong on Wikipedia. It's wrong in Joey Green's book. Uh, it's wrong in the CD liner notes. Um, and it's and it's not any of their fault. Uh, it's just one of those things um, that happened along the way. And, um, you know, I'm sure at some point, you know, somebody will find something wrong. <laughs> I did. But, uh, but it sure was fun to unravel. Um, here it turns out to be this make and model that is so rare uh, that even finding the actual model of that kind of bus to recreate it 
would be a challenge because the bus that turns out to be the Partridge Family bus in 1955, Chevrolet Superior, was a second series task force. So what that meant was that they altered their model in the middle of the season of 1955 for about three or four months. And it was that period in which the Partridge Family bus was built. So, of course, it was built as a school bus. Right. It was shipped to California, and it was bought from the Orange County school system uh, in, in 1969 for use as the Partridge Family bus. So once, once they had the bus and they saw, you know, um, what was going to happen with the show, they wanted a duplicate bus so that they could use it to promote with. Mm-hmm. So they went out to get an exact match, and what they found was, of course, they couldn't find that exact same bus model. But they got a 1956, which was um, really, really close, yeah. a really good close match. And so, and let me back up just to say, too, I, I still haven't confirmed 100% of that the duplicate bus that they made was actually uh, a 56. What what had happened was that it was documented all over the place that this bus, the Partridge Family bus, had been parked at Lucy's Tacos in Los Angeles mm-hmm. uh, for many years. And there are pictures of that bus, and that bus is a 1956. And everybody, you know, kind of thought that was a Partridge Family bus, right. the Partridge Family bus. But here it wasn't, and if you look closely at the paint job, too, it's different. And when you learn about the make and model, you can see the differences. So that bus appeared in an episode of Chips, and so everybody thinks, oh, the Partridge Family bus was, you know, can be seen in an episode of Chips. But uh, I believe that was the duplicate bus. Um, mm. No confirmation for sure on that, but uh, I would, you know, I'm not a gambling man, but I'm betting uh, 90% that that was the duplicate bus. Well, it's uh, Danny Bonaducci. Now, he's, it's well known, he's been in the news quite a bit uh, over the the years, not recently, thankfully, but uh, bad luck or whatever you want to call it, bad choices, and he owns up to it. But uh, you didn't have any problem uh, getting connected with him, and he was pretty giving? Yeah, no, he was terrific. Um, he was easy, actually, to get to, and so willing to talk about the Partridge family. He loves uh, the Partridge family and is for, is constantly expresses his gratitude, um, has a lot of humility about himself, and, you know, says, I would not be here today if it weren't for the Partridge family. Um, he was a lot of fun to talk to. He was just another one that, you know... Easy to talk with and makes you feel like you just want to hang out with him. Um, a lot of energy and um, very, very great. He had a lot of bad times, and he is very forward about the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but he is very successful now. He, yeah. he found his niche in radio and um, has had a very successful career uh, in radio. That's uh, uh, what surprised me about that reading in your book. And it makes sense now because I've seen all those episodes, especially the early ones. It was starting to turn out, or at least in the beginning, it was looking like it was going to be the Dave Madden and Danny Bonaducci show uh, yeah, as they were yeah. kind of paired up. But in, in, I guess producer said, all right, we've got to start taking some of the pressure off of Danny. But uh, he was really, and I believe even Su- you said Susan Day said in an interview that those first episodes were really successful uh, in large part thanks to Danny. Right. Yeah, and you know what's so interesting about that is that uh, 
Danny, uh, the producer, really pushed to have him. There were two groups of kids in the very end, and Danny Bonaducci was in the group that they were not going to use. And they pushed to say, hey, listen, we want that kid with this group. And they got their wishes, um, and they were right, right on the money. And so, yeah, in the beginning, a lot of pressure was, they were so good, Danny and Dave Madden, and um, a lot of pressure was put on them to deliver every week because the chemistry was there. But then as the year unfolded and David Cassidy broke out um, by the second season, you start to see the storylines developing differently. So a lot of stories about uh, the character of Keith and Danny. Um, And Keith and Lori start having... Definitely the characters developed more in the second season for the rest of the cast. Yeah. Uh, The book... Is called. Uh, remind everyone when we're singing. By the way, while we're yeah. before we get on, uh, before we wrap things up, there was something else you touched on, which I I didn't know the answer for, but I remembered, and I'm one of the few people who remembered before the internet came along. Remembered that when we're singing was the original title uh, of the of the uh, the 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 show. I mean, yeah. not, I'm sorry. The, remember, theme, song. the yeah. theme song. Thank you. I got lost there for a second. And then yeah. it was re-recorded in the second season till the end and became Come On, Get Happy. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what, why did Wes feel like that needed to be changed? Because I felt like the original song told the story of the family. Yeah, yeah I don't know for sure. Uh, I can just give you my, my best educated guess, which is that... Um, Wes was the producer of the records, and in the first season, he was using a lot of uh, famous techniques of that day to make David Cassidy sound a certain way on the first two albums, Mm -hmm. and so they would heighten his pitch a little bit, and they would use, um, you know, a lot of reverb and things like that, and it gave it a certain poppy sound, and David Cassidy was really uh, wanting to have his voice be heard for what it was. So by the third album, uh, they stopped altering his voice. Um, they would do it once in a while on some of the records. It isn't 100% change, but 90%. Right. You know, David Cassidy, we hear him finally for the voice that that he is without any uh, alteration to it. And I think when we're singing, to me, sounds very much like the altered voice. And so when the second season came around and they plugged in come on get happy it's no longer the altered voice so the sound on the new theme song matched the sound on the new record album Hmm. uh but you know why change the lyrics i don't know um uh, i liked the first theme song too and you know one of the things that i was always i never really quite understood uh was in the syndication there was parts of the syndicated years that they actually substituted Come On, Get Happy over top of when we're singing for the first season. And so I think that plays into why we don't remember it as well. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, as time wore on and the DVDs came out, they did everything according to the way it was originally done, which is terrific. Come on now and me, everybody and hear us singing There's nothing better than being together Five of us and mom working all day We knew we could help her if our music would pay Daddy got proven to sell our song And it really came together when mom sang along Come on now and meet everybody And hear us singing 
Since, uh, since you wrote the book, and I think just within the last few months, David Cassidy has uh, revealed that he is, uh, he's, su- uh, I don't know the proper way to say it, but he's suffering from dementia. Yeah, yeah he's suffering from early onset dementia. Yeah, and he has since uh, said he's not going to tour anymore. He said he may do some shows, but do you think that's yeah. really going to happen? Um, you know, who knows? Um, I... I would like to think that he's still going to come out there and do a couple of more shows because he's still, you know, he can still do it. Yeah. Um, but who knows with that disease, you know, what an awful disease. Right. And who of course, well, yeah. we just lost Glenn Campbell to it. Not the exact same right. thing, but a similar uh, yeah. similar situation, and there have been others too. Uh, it's, it's hard to tell, you know, how f- the progression as well as yeah. uh, the effect that it's going to have on different people. So, uh, any yeah. any contact yeah. with him or the fan club or anything like that on uh, what he's doing right now? Uh, well, you know what he's doing right now is he's recording and um, he's uh, back in the studio and he's recording a bunch of songs. And I think the tentative title is something like "Songs My Father Taught Me." Oh. Uh, yeah, and you know, one report uh, says it's going to be his last. Um, his last album. Sure. But, you know, who knows? All right, let's right. remind everyone, this is called When We're Singing. It's by Johnny Ray Miller. Now, I even told my wife after I got a cop- after I got the borrowed copy, I said, I would like to have a copy of this book. By the way, I also meant to ask you, the pictures, where did all of this stuff of yeah. all of the the marketing machine, I mean, you've got yeah. real pictures of the bubblegum cards and the outfits and the magazines yeah. and where did uh, the dolls? I remember the T-shirts and the pillowcases and stuff like that, but uh, yeah. and the bubblegum cards to a degree. But there were some things I was like, "Holy cow! I can't believe that they actually put that out there." Uh, where did you get copy? Who has all of this stuff? I know that didn't come from you. Yeah, well, part of it actually did. But, um, you know, thanks for recognizing that because the photo section of the book was almost as difficult to put together as the entire book. Uh, There's 64 pages of full color in the book, and that's something that's pretty much unheard of. Yeah. You don't usually get a lot of color in a book, uh, a nostalgia book like that. And the fact that it's a hardback, too, is, um, you know, thank my lucky stars for that because yeah. that doesn't usually happen either yeah. with nostalgia books like this but um there was so much support for this book because there had never been anything done before and when i set out to do this um uh i raised some money uh through kickstarter so that i could make this book what i wanted it to be and the fans really wanted a photo section including me so i spent a very long time gathering we probably had at one point five thousand photos we were sifting through and there's over 500 pictures in that uh spread through that um uh 64 page color section a lot of the memorabilia um I had some of it, so some of it's mine. A lot of it came from a fan in Australia, uh, Jim Salamanis, who is thought to be one of the world's biggest collectors of Partridge Family. Uh, he was very enthusiastic. He, he had sent me, oh, man, I don't know, probably 2,000 of the photos or 3,000 came from him. And this is over the course of several years. Um, so, 
yeah, that's the memorabilia. The attempt was to make it as comprehensive as we possibly could. At some point, you kind of realize that there's no way to cover everything. Right. Uh, but it's, you know, it's pretty covered. It's um, pretty comprehensive, and um, fans who are collectors uh, so far have definitely, you know, I've received a lot of great emails about the, the photo section. Yeah. And then, you know, the photo section also has never-before-seen photos from Henry Diltz, who is David Cassidy's personal photographer, oh, yeah. and never-before-seen photos from Suzanne Crow. Uh, pictures that she had from the time she was a little girl on the back lot and um so we you know we made a mission of getting all of this in there yeah and i'm, I'm not just saying this because you're on the phone uh, to the to the listener this is good heavy paper i mean this is quality stuff uh oh thank you yeah i definitely compliment you on it usually you see these in black and white and it's uh you know it's going to be a short section it's going to be uh, thin, yeah. easily ripped, but this is a good quality product, and I'll say that to all your investors as well. That they oh, really did a you. great job on the book. Uh, and if uh, if you want to take the, the moment to to say thanks to all of those people who who donated for the oh, Kickstarter program, I'll tell you my gratitude to all of the people who backed this book is unending and forever. I am so so grateful for the support. It was um, it re- the Kickstarter campaign was amazing. I didn't actually. I never set out to do something like that in the beginning. I was just going to go get a publisher. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who was uh, a writer, several books out, and he was going to you know help me shop around for a publisher. And it was his idea, having been published several times over, uh, that I take a look at Kickstarter. And initially, I didn't want to do it because I do have a strong background in fundraising, but I also know just how difficult it is. And you have to do it in 30 days, and it's all or nothing. So people pledge for your project, and uh, you only get the money if you meet your goal. So um, I think our goal was 24,000-something, and we ended up uh, with 27,000. Wow. yeah, and 421 backers. Um, we went over about three days before the campaign was over. Uh, it was a ton, a ton of work. But I'll tell you, the fans, it's the fans that drove this. Um, they spread it around everywhere, all across the world. I have backers in Germany and the U.K. and Australia. And, I mean, you name it, uh, David Cassidy and the Partridge family, they were huge internationally. Yeah. And so the passion was there for it. And I, and I am so incredibly grateful to them for making this happen. Yeah. Uh, and you're, you're talking on a nonprofit uh, radio station right now. This is a community radio station. It's nonprofit, and uh, this is our second anniversary. And it required a lot of, you know, I'm the one who, uh, uh, with yeah. a lot of help, got it on the air and so it's a lot of going around and begging people you know that hey i know you can't see this right now and uh you can't touch it Mm -hmm. but could you give me some money to help get it going and that's hard to to get across to people yeah it is and if you work in nonprofit, you understand just how difficult that is it's um it's a lot of work nonprofit, and and it takes a lot of help no one person is going to do that We'll be back with the conclusion of our interview with Johnny Ray Miller, the author of When We're Singing, right after this. This is Donald James from Impact Youth Mentoring. Impact Youth Mentoring serves the children of Hendricks County. Impact Youth provides academic and social development in our mentees as well as leadership development in our mentors. 
If you are interested in becoming a mentor or know a child who could use a mentor, learn more by searching Impact Youth Mentoring on Facebook or at our website, impactyouthmentoring.org. How can folks uh, get a get a copy of the book, or at least a push for a reprint or something like that, or whatever <laughs> yeah. it takes? Yeah, it's uh, available through. It has its own website, whenwe'resinging dot com, and um, fans can get it there at whenwe'resinging dot com. Okay, all right, sounds good. Once again, the book is called "When We're Singing: The Partridge Family and Their Music." It's by Johnny Ray Miller. What is the and what's the website again? When we're singing.com and there's no G on the end of singing it's just when we're singing right there you go all right and is there a Facebook page or anything like that people can? yeah there's a Facebook page for it uh, there's a Twitter account for it um, and uh, and then the website. Okay, sounds cool. All right, Johnny Ray Miller, we certainly do appreciate you talking with us and talking about uh, the Partridge family and the book. And uh, if you're ever in the uh, central Indiana area, let us know. We'll be glad to, to follow up with you and see what's going on. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. This has been Central Indiana Today, presented by the Kevin Kersey Agency on WYRZ. Hello, this is Kevin Kersey of the Kevin Kersey Agency. The Kevin Kersey Insurance Agency, a member of the Farmers Insurance Group, can help with home, life, auto, or business needs. Phone number is 317-286-3481. We can also be found on Facebook at the Kevin Kersey Agency or at our website, www.farmersagent.com forward slash kkersey. Walk-ins are always welcome at 480 East Northfield Drive, Suite 300 in Brownsburg.